Hello and welcome to this webinar brought to you by Canada Post. My name is Minter Dial and I'll be your host for the next half an hour. I want to thank very much Rodrigo Padilla for giving me this opportunity to talk to you guys. This uh, webinar is actually being re-recorded because of an incident when I was down in South by Southwest in, in Austin this week. Unfortunately, despite all my geekery, uh, the Wi-Fi didn't work and we had terrible connections. So I really apologize for that. So here with hopefully a completely clean version for you. So for the next half an hour, we're going to be talking about marketing trends 2014-2015. And I know that there's a very wide spectrum of, of people who are listening to this webinar. So it's very hard to exactly correspond to each of your levels. But I'm hoping that you'll find something at every level, as you'll see. I'm going to try to find some areas which are very strategic, overlooking, but also look at some nitty-gritties and come up with some tips and tricks that can be really useful for the operational people in marketing. While I may be trying to present new things in, in marketing, the truth is a lot of what I'm going to talk about isn't actually particularly mind-shatteringly new in terms of the overall trend. What I'm going to look at, however, is how these new aspects of marketing are being used, and that's where the difference is, and specifically the types of questions that we need to be asking ourselves as we approach these new phenomena and new technologies in marketing. So anyway, a word about myself. My name is Minter Dial. It's a little hard to identify where that name comes from, just like my accents. I have an accent in every language I've, I speak in. And, uh, and in terms of uh, change, well, I've spent my life on, it seems, in constant change. I've changed countries 14 times and homes 34 times. So when they put it down into a mathematical model, it more or less looks like this. So I'm basically speaking a third uh, US American, a third French a large component of English and then the rest. And, but I would say within the rest, I have a very strong and passionate three years where I spent in Montreal with L'Oreal. It's a great experience. And that's how I got to know Rodrigo Bayer. Anyway, my career, not exactly your linear type of career, where I started as a tennis pro, then I worked in an investment bank. I started as an entrepreneur, a travel agency for musicians in Washington, D.C., uh, that went bankrupt after a couple of years. Great lessons learned. Then I worked in a zoo, got promoted to work in an aquarium, and then needed to settle myself down, and I ended up going to an INSEAD business school in Fontainebleau uh, to figure out what is marketing. I came out of that, and I went into L'Oreal, and I worked for L'Oreal for 16 years. In the, in the uh, 16 years, I was only in one division. That's the one that deals with hairdressers, what we call the professional products division. And uh, they put me around, uh, off, as you can see, on the, most of the time in France. But I, I jumped around from country to country, moving up through marketing. And when I got to the United States, I ended up being head of a brand called Redken Worldwide, which was an amazing experience, beautiful brand. And then I had my three years <clears throat> excuse me, in Canada, where I ran the uh, professional products division, which included Matrix, uh, Laura Professionnel, Kara Styles, and Redken. And then last job, I was... Uh, on the executive committee worldwide for the division, responsible for eight different functions. And amongst them was e-business and uh, how to put the customer at the center of your preoccupations. I left L'Oreal in 2009 to follow my passion, which is all about the mindset. And uh, what I do is I help companies with their branding and specifically looking at how they're integrating these new technologies and digital into their approach you can see my uh, tweets should you want to follow or, or tweet me. I'll be glad to uh, react. I, I'm quite responsive on Twitter, as you will see. Anyway, I get to work with some of the greatest brands around the world. 
Um, I've been working in China with Tencent, which is, if you haven't heard of it, the largest publicly traded Chinese uh, internet company. And it's the fourth in the world. Um, and I work with other brands in fashion, in, in telecom, um, and also in, um, in the automobile industry. So lots of different great brands, each time looking at how to bring digital into the business. So that's my background. So let's, uh, let's move into the heart of the presentation and talk about what's in a trend. Well, sometimes we're, we're going to bally around a number, and there are many numbers out there. Um, take 2014, for example. I like to play with this because we're looking at 2014. If you look at the number, well, actually, what's in a number? The number 10. And <laughs> that's why we're going to talk about the top 10 trends. But before that, a little background and some other thoughts just to stimulate the mind. 2014, what's in a number? Well, what I wanted to look at, actually, perhaps, is the silence, the gap between the numbers. In today's world, there's so much stuff cluttering our minds all the time that potentially one of the biggest luxuries that we can have is silence, the ability to disconnect. It's also true that in that silence, we can think more, we can think more strategically. And that's something that's sorely missing in many marketing departments with whom I work. Another aspect is, is what I call the big divide. And, and really what it means is that there are lots of polarizing aspects out there, issues. And you can either be for or against them. And these are on a personal level. And when you are for or against them, your own personal opinion has an impact directly on the style of marketing and how you approach dealing with your customers. So in these polarizing components, the thing is this, there's a spectrum, it's a continuum. And the question is, where do you sit on it? Are you on the left or middle or, or on the far right? Take the first one, which is privacy and security. I talk about security on a, on a more global level. And I talk about security of country and the desire for governments to be able to provide our security. In order for them to do that, they need to have data, and specifically they need to have data about us, which impinges on our own sense of privacy. So we have a real issue, and as I was at South by Southwest this last week, we had Snowden, Glenwald, and uh, Assange all talking about this notion of privacy. So while we want our security, are we prepared, at what level are we prepared to give up on our own privacy? That's an interesting conundrum. The second one is the split between personal and professional. And basically, in the, in, in the way I was brought up, everyone would go into work, you put on a tie, and you act professionally. And you were supposed to leave your own person and personality at home. Well, I think that that's a real challenge today because the customer, at the end of the day, the person with whom we're interfacing as a professional, is looking for customized, personalized service and engagement. And so the need is now to see how we can move along the, the line towards being more personal and bringing our whole personality to work. A third one is all about the material that's confidential. Now, of course, every company has material, information that has to and should be confidential. That can be related to research and development. It can relate to your promotional calendar. Many things that remain confidential, and that's totally normal. However, there's a lot that doesn't need to remain confidential. And because we're so fearful about the truly strategic stuff, what ends up happening is that we end up clamping down on everything. And then we impinge upon the openness, the ability to collaborate, 
and, and be more dynamic, be more agile. So the issue here is where are we going to sit and define specifically the types of stuff that actually do need to be of the domain secret, confidential, and then try to favor more of an open dialogue. Again, the question is, how far along can we move along to be uh, sensible in the way we approach our business? The fourth one here is uh, an obvious one in some regards. It's the, this, the notion of the search for short-term results, which we always have to go for. But how do we also marry in and keep time for continue thinking about our long-term strategy? The challenge, of course, is that we end up with the pendulum swinging back down to results because if, if we're not ongoing concern, it's difficult to think about the long-term. But in today's world, fidelity, customer loyalty is the heart of all business. That's where the word of mouth is happening. That's the more profitable type of client. So we need to be spending more time thinking about how do we <coughs> excuse me, generate and keep long-term fidelity all at the same time driving our short-term business. The last one relates to a very sort of topical topic, uh, which is big data. And so everyone's talking about data's out there. The issue or the thought is, is that an opportunity or is that a threat? And, and many people personally might think of intrusion, might think of people stealing my own personal information and think of even governments thinking about how they're overseeing us and being too intrusive on our personal life. So is this notion of data something that's an opportunity, big data, or is it a threat and an intrusion, big brother? So this, all these things will impact the way we approach marketing. What is not going to happen? Well, there's this famous uh, expression, uh, which is reports of my death have been greatly exaggerated. And there are two areas that still haven't gone and won't be going right away. First is television. Joe Jaffe uh, wrote that great book about 10 years ago, saying the end of the 30-second spot. I think he was uh, perhaps premature in his thing. The truth is that television, of course, is going to radically change as uh, we see all these new technologies coming in, allowing us to use and have video in a very different way. I think YouTube will be the big player of the future. Anyway, television is still around and needs to be incorporated into our mix if you're in the big, big leagues. The second one is email. And there have been numerous posts you can really just look up, the death of email, reports of the death of email. Many people talking about that, but it's clear that email remains an extremely important part of your mix. And there are opportunities to do uh, great things with email. Uh, you can take a look at Gilt, for example. It's doing a phenomenal job. G-I-L-T dot com. Flash sale organization out of, out of New York. They have 5 million emails going out every day at noon. Basically at noon. And for those 5, uh, 2 million, sorry, those, those 5 million uh, customers, they send out 2,000 different varieties every day. So they've really figured out a way to be very customized and, and, uh, and have very powerful open rates thanks to a strong predictive understanding of each of their customers. With regard to email, one of the things that's really important is thinking about it in an integrated fashion. Think of email as one of these lines in this Burberry print so that you think of it as a part of a whole ecosystem. I would call it the integrated marketing campaign. Email works particularly well when you think of it as a whole system. So for example, you're making sure that you are providing all the social links within the email when you are working on emails, you need to capture the data. So you need to work very clearly offline and find ways to, to capture people's emails in a very opt-in manner, I might add. I was with a company uh, that six months ago, the CEO did a, a great campaign offline. He organized this with his team, events, 
and he created a uh, campaign to capture people's emails. The funny thing is that he didn't integrate it into the CRM team. So they ended up with a bunch of emails that had no, that didn't have the right same opt-ins. So weren't able to be integrated into their overall CRM database. So you need to think about all aspects of the team when you're doing your email. So you can create events, write blogs, and all these are different elements that can help drive your email database uh, acquisition as well as the engagement. Whether it's emails or in marketing, one of the, the key components is storytelling. When I went to South by Southwest this week, there's the whole part about digital and interactive, but then there's these two other parts, which are film and music. And the reason why I highly recommend that any marketer spend time in the music and film side is the ability to do storytelling. What is, story what is great storytelling? Well, storytelling is needs to have at the very beginning some kind of truth so that you're not in a, in a fabrication of story, but there's an element of truth that resonates with the people you're talking with. The second part is the relevancy. So you can have a great true story, but it needs to be relevant to the people, your audience. The third thing is to think about the context, specifically the context in which it'll be digested. So if you want to do your storytelling and the people are, who are listening to it are typically in the metro in the morning going to work, well, you need to think about their ambiance and their context as they receive that, what devices they're using and so on. And the fourth part is the person, the person who's actually telling the story. Do they have a nice voice? Do they sound empathetic? Are they, uh, is it is a voice that is grating on you? Hopefully mine isn't. I'm sorry about the bug in the back of my throat, but maybe I caught that on the airplane all the way back uh, last night. Another thing that's been uh, of particular interest is becoming more and more uh, common in marketing teams that are avant-garde is newsjacking. So some of you may have heard about this, but for others, maybe it's something new. Newsjacking is an extremely interesting idea. It's basically what you're doing is you're taking advantage of something that's happened in the news. So it involves posting free content, and this can be such as a blog post or a video, a tweet, to get the attention of the media and your buyers for free. So that is the classic definition, if you will. <laughs> I, I want to show you a couple of examples of newsjacking, which uh, the first one is absolutely brilliant. I know this is uh, American football. Um, most of you guys are going to be Canadians. I totally know the difference, um, having lived in Montreal. But this was uh, last year's Super Bowl, and I don't know if any of you saw it, but there was this blackout that lasted 34 minutes. So made for a little bit of a different scene. You know, If you're looking for the halftime show, it wasn't quite what you were looking for. What's amazing, for those of you who didn't see it or weren't aware of this, is what, what Oreo cookies managed to do. Because within the, those 34 minutes, they actually ended up tweeting this particular tweet, which says, power out, no problem, with a pitcher, you can still dunk in the dark. With a specific creative relative to the situation that was going on. So the, the point here is, is that Oreo was thinking about newsjacking, looking for an opportunity, and was prepared for it. So what does prepared for it mean? Well, they actually had a war room. And in that war room, they had all the right people who were able to, on the one hand, make the decisions and to create the creative. And they managed to do this within something like 20 minutes. As a result, when they posted it, they got masses of retweets and favorites. So that shows the kind of engagement that they managed to do. They had a sense of humor. They were extremely reactive. And that is, the, I would say, the banner case of newsjacking. You have to be careful how you do it, of course, because can, you can use the news uh, and some parts of the news are not necessarily good news. So you want to be careful about how you tone it 
to not sound a little bit too voyeur or um, maybe too, uh, how should we say, it, uh, too greedy. Um, here's another case, which was much more recently. This is the bridge that goes between New Jersey and New York. And what happened was that there was an enormous traffic jam for all the traffic coming out of New York into New Jersey. Turns out that the uh, governor called uh, Christie was, um, his, his administration was held accountable and was responsible for actually causing this enormous traffic jam that lasted over two and a half days. Here's the, uh, the, the news jack. It came from the Boston Sports Club, uh, which is also part of the New York Sports Club, if you know them. What they did is they did this ad. Well, so it's, a, it's an ad. It looks like a coupon. It says, don't worry, Chris. Our members stop traffic, too. And they posted this right away. So they leveraged quickly off this news, which was obviously uh, the big discussion points at lots of water coolers in and around uh, New York and Boston. But here's the point that I'd like to bring out in this particular uh, news, Jack, which is that rather than play on, let's say, Governor Christie's rather healthy proportions, should we say, uh, and, you know, the need for a workout, what he did is that he says, actually, no, no, don't worry, Chris, our members stop traffic too. So he, they played on a more positive side of, you know, you're looking good, and this is, this is why they stop traffic. So I thought that was a nice element within this news, Jackie, decorous. These guys are not unfamiliar with newsjacking. Uh, the New York Sports Club, they've done lots, whether it's uh, talking about Twirla, Kim Jong-il, or uh, Charlie Sheen. So lots of things that they do, taking advantage of the news. The key here, of course, is you have to do, you have to do this newsjacking with an alignment with who you are. So you don't want to step out of, and, and look uncomfortable according to your brand and your audience. Second thing is being prepared. So... You have to be on the lookout for it. You have to have the decision-making that happens very quickly because time is of the essence. And then you have to have the people necessary to make the creative there so that it, uh, it comes out and looks appropriate. So we're going to talk about um, a little bit of social media, but not much. But I wanted to, did want to draw your attention to one amazing new kid in town. It was launched at the beginning of January, and it's called Jelly. Jelly is a, a question and answers forum. But it's not like any other that you're going to see out there. Uh, the founder is Biz Stone, who was one of the co-founders of Twitter. And what Biz was saying was that his insight was that people want to help. And based on that insight, he created this forum where it's an application, essentially, which allows people to post questions and gives people the opportunity to answer. And because of some great functionality, as you'll see, uh, and really... A, a true capturing of insights about people. Uh, this thing is taken completely off. Of course, it helps that it's Biz Stone is launching it, but I highly recommend go check it out if you don't know it. Uh, look in and, and you see how people are replying, even though there's no particular gain for them. The point I would also like to bring out here in terms of marketing is this notion of capturing great insights and then leveraging that into your business. Okay, so finally, let's move into the top 10. The way I've looked at these 10 trends is that I wanted to break them down into three categories, marketing, technology, and human resources. Truth is that sometimes it's a little arbitrary as to where I put them. All of them, of course, deal with marketing, but I did want to put the accent on two things, which is technology and HR, and the importance of human resources in today's marketing world. So the first trend is mobile. Well, 
you'd be daft or it'd be hard to think you, you may be living in a, in a <laughs> your head in the sand if you didn't know about mobile, the importance of mobile. So obviously it's important. Here's a couple of, of elements or aspects of it that, that make it a little bit different. So the first is to think about your mobile strategy and, and think about the real estate on a person's mobile. It's extremely private and intimate, the home page on your on your email, on, on, your, uh, on your mobile device, your smartphone. So do you have within you a, an application that is so cool, so useful, that it'll actually be brought into the home page? This is my home page, by the way, on my mobile. Take, for example, on the bottom right, I don't know if you know it, it's by Charmin, which uh, is uh, owned by Procter & Gamble, and they've created an application that's called Sit or Squat. And Sit or Squat is essentially an ability to find a clean toilet in the vicinity. So if you've got kids, if any of you have kids, or you yourselves have ever been in a situation of saying, oh my gosh, I need to go, but you don't know where, and you'd rather not have to squat, um, this application is a great tool. It's crowdsourced, and there's no direct link, by the way, to buy Charmin, which I think makes it specifically rather charming. So the idea here is to think about the kinds of services you can provide that are so valuable, value-added, that people would actually want to put their application on their homepage. That's a way of thinking about maybe part of your mobile strategy, especially if you're thinking about apps. This, another statistic that could be quite shocking is that in the, in the U.S., I'm sorry, I only have it for the U.S., uh, and in fact in the U.S. it's substantially lower than many of the other countries like in, in Eastern Europe, but 25% of mobile web users are mobile only. That's to say that they actually will basically never or only rarely ever use the desktop to access the web. So that's how important the mobile interface is. So, uh, of course, these are typically going to be younger people. But the, the, obviously, this is a, uh, going to be a trend that's going to get bigger and bigger. So you really need to think mobile. And there's an astonishing number of sites that are still, I would say, mobile enemy or not, a cust not customized for the mobile or the iPad interface. So here's the big question, and at the end of each trend, I'm going to have this type of a question. Is your strategy going to be mobile first or mobile only? In other words, it's not an option. You either need to be working on mobile first or mobile only. Mobile is going to be one of the, well, I think it's it probably in this year in North America, we're going to see as many people surfing on the, on the web via the mobile versus their desktop. So there's really is a, a, a momentum, a tsunami of people coming on the mobile. Being mobile first or mobile only, it could be exaggerated to be mobile only, it depends on exactly who you are, but it makes an enormous difference if you construct your web presence and strategy thinking mobile first. Check it out. The second uh, trend is video. Now, of course, video is important. We've seen it. But what I can see is that there are more and more. It is where the engagement is happening. Uh, you've got all these new devices, whether it's Vine. Uh, but we also have the, the GIF the, or the GIF, depending on the, on the school of thought, how you like to uh, call it. The, the GIF in particular, actually, uh, has, they've identified that it can provide four times more interactivity if you uh, add a GIF to your tweet, for example, or on your Facebook posting. So the video, if it's done well, can uh, really up your engagement levels. Whether it's Vine or YouTube or GIF, one thing's true is that you don't need to have these massive productions that we had before. 
What's more interesting is to think about the storyline, think about the authenticity of the story relative to who you are. And because you're not looking for a super quality, it's also going to help when you're having to stream your video into devices which might not have great connectivity. So that's another thing to think about. Anyway, the point here is think about the GIF. The GIF is the gift. Speaking about images and videos, I wanted to just uh, give a call out to a company called Olapic. Olapic is a uh, service for brands, so it's B2B. And what it does is it allows you as a brand to go out and find anyone and everybody that's been talking about your brand. And because it's very aware of rights and creative commons, it captures all the material that's out there that's been effectively crowdsourced and allows you to use it or bring it into your domain, into your uh, become part of your assets. So Olapic is a, is a really interesting application that you might want to take a look at. My old friends at Redken, I know, are using it amongst others. So the question I have within the video space is, are your marketing managers proficient on iMovie or any of the other um, movie editing applications that are out there, whether it's a Live Movie Maker or, or Final Cut Pro or, or the Adobe's uh, Premiere? The, the question is here is that, you know, whereas we're at school, we're, we're taught to do all marketing, today's marketing and tomorrow's marketing is really going to integrate more and more video. And because we have, you know, resources are limited, the ability for a marketer to quickly draw up a little screen capture or a little video animate something is going to be, uh, I think, a part of our daily tasks. So the challenge we have within marketing organizations is to increase our level of understanding and technicality about making editing videos. The third trend is about data. I mentioned it, of course, at the top of the webinar. Data is important. We talk about big data. We can talk about small data. And I think uh, probably the most interesting way to call it is smart data. I know my friend Mitch Joel, he likes to talk about uh, small data. But in the end of the day, whether it's big data, small data, or smart data, there is a lot of it. And what's important is what you're going to do with it. And, and I've seen too many companies that go out there and collate and collect the data, but then do nothing intelligent with it. So it's what you're going to do with it that's going to be going to make the, that data important. In today's environment, however, there is one really important question to be asking, and that is, who owns your data? It's much easier to collect data when it's not you, typically. So a third party, a la for, uh, Facebook or Twitter, they're collecting data that then can be useful for you. Of course, they, you don't own that data, they do. So that's going to be one of the, the tricky parts, is, is to make sure and find ways to capture people's attentions that rhymes with them, that doesn't make them lose their trust in you, and gives them this opportunity to provide you your, the data to which for, that belongs to you. That's one of the tricky parts today in the sort of integrated marketing world where there's so many different players and platforms to be using. Speaking of these different platforms, the fourth trend is marketing automation. And it's true that marketing automation kind of got a dirty rap. I think marketing automation is now coming into its own, and, and specifically because there's some great services and, and softwares that are now out there that can help us, uh, the marketing automation is going to have to be used. It's just not possible or feasible for large-scale organizations to be doing everything in this sort of hyper-customized environment. That said, 
when you're using marketing automation, you do need to be extremely careful to adapt your messages according to the platforms you're using and make sure you respect the audiences because someone who's on Twitter will not expect or not want to see a long message or can't see actually on Facebook, uh, from Facebook. Um, you don't want to see Twitter hashtags. So you want to make sure you're, you're creating a contextually irrelevant type of message and in using some of the better marketing automation tools out there. Now you can start to do that. And of course, the other thing that's great about these tools, it allows you to check and measure everything. And you can hold your agencies much more accountable. But you obviously need to know specifically your objectives, <clears throat> what you're trying to achieve, and make sure you have measurable, uh, accountable uh, conversations with your agencies. So the big question when we're talking about marketing or automation, though, is are you engaging with your customers in the ways that you personally would like to be treated? Far too often, I see news editors that go out with hidden opt-outs, unsubscribes, that, are temp that basically are, are trying to abuse their customers. There, there's an enormous tendency to sign up people automatically without even having them opt-in. In fact, there's some data that says that something like 8 out of 10 uh, brands will create or sign up people automatically into newsletters without allowing the customer to, to know about that. Whereas if I were to ask you, do you like it when a brand automatically signs you up without your permission? Chances are that 9 out of 10 times you're going to say, absolutely not. So we need to think as, get in the shoes of the customer and think about their experience so that you are favoring the opportunity for them to want to receive your email and stay with you uh, for the long haul. Right, moving into the second slug, which is about technology, and there are four different parts to technology, the technology trends. And the first one regards security and privacy. On the one hand, it's true that you have this overveiling issue with the National Security Agency and, and the incursion into our own private data that the government's doing. That's not my point actually here. My point here regards <clears throat> the security of our data and customer pri private information, specifically credit cards and the like. So there's a real issue that companies are going to need to address very quickly about how they're going to securize all the data that they have. Because if they don't, there's going to be a runaway, just like we're seeing at Target, where there's something like a 15% fall off in the number of customers who went to visit Target in the month of January, specifically related to the uh, hacking that went on, where they lost 100 million customers' information. So security is going to be an extremely important part and needs to be addressed at the board level to make sure that you have a very as, as watertight a system as possible with regard to the data and know that it's going to be an evolving process because the hackers are always one step ahead. As I said, though, at the very beginning, when we talk about the continuum uh, looking at uh, security, the question I ask here is, have you strategically identified what needs to be kept secretive? So people's social security numbers, credit card numbers, of course. But it's not because that needs to be kept secret, that absolutely everything needs to be kept secret. I like to continue to insist on <clears throat> the need for openness. And there are, an ama there are amazing ways to, to collaborate with people on the outside. But that will only work if you have an ability to share. That sharing will, will uh, garner more trust between you and will able to facilitate a better relationship and partnership with external people. So you need to be careful not to consider everything 
confidential and secret and allow for elements to be more open so you can favor a more collaborative spirit within and without. I always have this great example about when I was back in Canada and we tried to set up a panel so that we would share everyone's information. And unfortunately, we never managed to do it because people didn't want to share their sales numbers. But here's my thing. If I tell you my sales number, how much are you going to steal from me? So I think that there's, there's this element of, of uh, neuroses where you get concerned about how everyone's going to steal everything. But I think you need to think strategically about what is actually confidential and what should be allowed to be spoken about so that we're in a little bit more of an open spirit. All right, so the sixth trend is wearable. You know, you've probably seen a lot about the Google Glasses, these Fitbits, or the Nike Fuel Bands. First of all, highly recommend you get them, not necessarily because you're doing a workout or running, but so that you, as a marketer, understand why there are more than 6 million people who have paid $130 for the Nike Fuel Band, and many million have already bought the Fitbit, because it's truly a, a burgeoning trend. In wearable technologies in general, uh, I was at South by Southwest and I heard uh, this guy, Kip Fife, saying that in, by 2018, the wearable devices market is expected to hit 19 billion US dollars. So it's, it's, we're obviously at the beginning of it, but it's burgeoning. The question is, when you look at it, you know, as a marketer, are you involved? Do you subscribe? And when you look at Google Glasses, there are many people that tend to, to pull up the warning signs. Oh my gosh, it's invasive. They're going to take photographs of me in, in private circumstances and so on. So when you look at wearable technology and Google Glass in particular, is your glass half empty or is it half full? I tend to be an extreme optimist. I don't think that these particular glasses are attractive. The functionality isn't exactly there yet because you have to keep on saying glass and that's pretty silly. But at the same time, I think the opportunities are going to be there. And as a brand, uh, specifically if you're in an upscale area, you're bound to have more and more customers that are coming in with these glasses, whether it's from Google or others. And the question is, are you prepared for that? So in a store environment, how do you interface with them? Do you, are you going to try and ban them from taking photographs, as so many retailers continue to do? Ban them from sharing on Instagram and sharing on Facebook how great it was in the store? Or not? <laughs> I think you get my gist, hopefully. So number seven, 3D printing. And I was just at South by Southwest. Again, I saw, and, uh, and I've, I've seen a number of great convention shows, the evolutions in the abilities of pre 3D printing. It used to be that there are only certain plastics we could do. Now the number of materials that can be used for the printing is just shot up. And, and they're finding all sorts of amazing ways that are being used in, in medical domain, in uh, aeronautics, of course, and in the consumer area. I think that there's a great opportunity. Naturally, it's not all positive. People are, are finding, uh, going around and creating less attractive approaches. But all that to say, I think that there's a lot of opportunity within 3D printing and to think about how you can provide a service or value by creating a, an immediate impression of something. So when you think about 3D printing, what problem can you solve or service can you render by creating immediately a customized version? And there's some, there's some amazing opportunities out there. I think especially, for example, in the luxury area, when someone comes in, they see an item, maybe there's an opportunity for you to create a replica as a test so they can see what it's like maybe to have a handbag. They can make a customized handbag that goes back to see if 
their specific item, iPad or whatever, fits into the handbag. Oh, what a great comeback. And if you, uh, if you buy the bag for $10,000, we will uh, consider graciously the 3D imprint. So I think that there's ways to use 3D to create added value for your customers. The eighth trend is coding. This is not your typical trend, I should say, but I think it's something that needs to be evaluated in any marketing department. I take my guidance from the journalists who were at the front end of having to deal with this digital transformation. And so now many investigative journalists need to have good understanding of coding to understand, for example, the sources, the way things are being thought about in the back. In business today and in marketing, one of the big issues we have are programmers. And you think about the, the glory of some of the Apple products. You may or may not like Apple, but what's amazing is, is the packaging inside and all the tech, technology that's going inside. The same idea goes for coding. And you have extraordinary elegant coding that lives on and breathes much better than bad coding. And there's going to be a big fight for good coders. So the question is, in your organization, who knows enough geekery to recruit the best programmers? And, and too often, it's a domain that's too far from us, and we're not capable of even understanding the terminology. It seems Greek to us. I was with some kids the other day, and, the, and uh, I said, I come, from many language, I come from many countries. Well, how many languages do you speak? And uh, <clears throat> the kid said, well, I, I know, I, I speak two. And he said, well, what were they? And he, he said, well, I, I, I speak basic and C+. And I said, oh, well, that's not what I was expecting. So there's, a, uh, there's an opportunity but you need to be able to identify them and identify the talented people who are coders. I just put a little link down the bottom here. Uh, it's called For CEOs Who Want to Keep Coding. And I think it's something that should not be frowned upon, even in upper management, to get familiar with coding. There's some great courses out there on Khan Academy and others that can provide you with some understanding. If you want to create a blog, don't pay for an agency to do all the, the coding for you, or at least understand what's going on so that you're not hamstrung and calling the agents, agency every time you have a particular problem. It can save you a lot of time and heartache. Into the last trend, it's human resources. And I would say that human resources is one of those areas in, the, in, in most companies that's sort of, a, let's say, the bottom end of the pecking order. It's where you go when you haven't succeeded in an in, uh, in operational capacity in human resources. You're just dealing with all the, the bureaucracy, the paperwork, people's bonuses and, and salary pay, paychecks. It's not a glorified area. And yet, for me, it's at the heart of the digital transformation. The ability to participate in creating ongoing learning, in, in the ability to identify new talents to recruit and to keep them. So the first one, of course, is with regard to talent. And in today's world, <clears throat> there's lots of talented people who are very smart, but I think that we need to look more at the people with the creativity. There's this great book by Daniel Pink. It's called The, the Whole New Mind, which I don't know if you've read it. 2006, it was printed, but it's extremely interesting. And it talks about this need to be able to be, on the one hand, analytical, rational, but also to favor conceptual creativity on the other side of the brain in this other side of their brain. So we have people who are, you need to have more and more people who have great skills in copywriting, ability to take great photos, and as I was mentioning before, to take videos. All these things combine to help create a great experience for your customer. And so in your HR team, 
how are you injecting requests for more creative people? Of course, having creative people and not having an environment that accepts them is another challenge that your HR team is going to have to uh, accommodate and help you with. So the question here is, to what extent is creativity identified and recognized in your organization? The reason why I ask this question is that you might well have many creative people within your ranks, but you might have an environment that doesn't favor people who are creative, people who express themselves, maybe with a little fervor, maybe some ideas that seem too crazy. And because we, uh, we, we immediately sanction them, then they refrain and will not be feeling comfortable giving out their creative ideas. So on the one hand, do you have creative people? Do you know who they are? Can you identify them? Do you know who's writing blogs, for example, in your organization? And to what extent are you recognizing them for their creativity? Are there ways within the goals and objectives at the end of the year that you evaluate people's creativity or not? The final one, and I mentioned it just now, was this notion of learning. In today's crazy world with all this stuff changing all the time, the rate of change has accelerated. And while we're learning and doing all we can, the rate of learning has not caught up with the rate of change. So as time goes along, things are changing faster and faster, and our style of learning is not adapted. So what we need to do is create environments where we're, we have ongoing learning, not just a two-day uh, in-presence seminar, but things like this, this webinar, where you're injecting opportunities for people within your organization to constantly be learning what's going on. Even I, who am in digital, uh, you know, it's my daily job, every day I find myself, oh, I didn't know about that. I find something new. So I have to keep, I have to have an ecosystem that allows me to stay up to date every day and recognize that there's never going to be 100% perfection expertise, but just to be constantly know that I have to change, learn every day. And there's some great tools out there. Uh, I mentioned the Khan Academy, if you don't know it. That's probably more for people who are studying maths and, and, and the SAT, for example. But then uh, there, there are ways within the organization uh, to embed it easier. For example, if you have an environment like a Salesforce chatter. I don't know if you have one or are familiar with it, but this is a, essentially a Twitter internal. It does more. But what it does is it, it favors, it allows for people, if you have a culture that accepts it, for people to share what they've found out. And the more you are able to do that, the more you use the entire organization to help you as a company learn. So it's not just incumbent on the HR team to bring this in. It can become a constant collaborative learning uh, platform such as Chatter. You can use things like TED, which is more of the inspirational variety. I, I highly recommend it for thinking differently. Uh, and, I'm a, and I'm a big, big fan of Twitter, Twitter for business. I think Twitter is an, a great opportunity for people to stay up to date. Once you've figured out what you're interested in, what you need to, for your business, who are the people that are talking about that specific area? Follow them. Check out who they follow so you know how to go upstream. And you investigate, really, where the chain is strongest. And then you pull those into your stream and you start following those people. Twitter that way can make you feel like you're the most up-to-date person at any coffee table or, for example, when you're about to go visit a client. It's amazing how Twitter can help you prepare a meeting. Another uh, platform I like to recommend is Scoopit. This is a uh, curation platform software that was developed out of Paris. And Scoopit allows you to create or curate 
um, around a specific topic. So you're, there are people who are probably curating on pretty much every topic that anyone who's listening to this would like. So you might want to be looking for digital marketing for pharmaceutical or uh, wearable technology in the fashion industry. There's going to be people who are talking about that. So it's a great resource for you if you want to just quickly narrow in on some people who are spending their time for free looking at and posting on these specific topics. So there's another way to have ongoing learning. Even in France, I should say, where the education is considered uh, la mammouth, for those of you who speak French, uh, the, the French have uh, created a MOOC platform, and they've already, and it was just done at the beginning of this year, and they already have 200,000 people who have uh, signed up for it, for their large MOOC called the France Université Numérique. Anyway, so the question I have for you here is, in, in your organization, with your HR, how to create an environment of ongoing learning. So this will need to look at the culture, it will need to look at the people, and it will need to, very importantly, look at the technology, the platform you have in place to facilitate it. People tend to think of technology as a, as a last resort, as, as, as an expense. Today, technology needs to be brought up a level at a more strategic level, and we need to be aware that there's some amazing technologies that can really facilitate our ability to learn, to collaborate, and work together in a much faster, more agile way. It does depend on your culture, so that's a whole other part of it. Anyway, as I said at the beginning, um, I spent some time in Montréal, and uh, it was a great time. So I wanted to just, for a little clin d'œil pour les Français, say bonne année and c'est reparti comme en 14, which is a, a wonderful, quaint French expression that talks about, well, this is the beginning of 1914 and we're back at it. So hopefully you have enjoyed this uh, webinar. I've tried to cover as, as what I think most, is most important for people in marketing with some tips and tricks. Uh, and some specific ideas that you might be able to use. I'd be happy to continue the conversation. Uh, you can find me on Twitter or en français MDL FR, uh, or there's my email mentor at themindset.com, and it's the mindset with a Y because I like to put the Y back into business. So once again, thanks to Canada Post, thanks to Rodrigo Padilla, and uh, I look forward to catching up with you in the future. Hey friends, this is Jim Knight, former 21-year Hard Rock executive turned best-selling author and top 10 keynote speaker. And I'm Brant Menzwar, former frontman of Hollywood's most dangerous band turned top 10 motivational speaker and best-selling author. We host the how-to podcast, Thoughts That Rock, where we talk to rock stars, athletes, CEOs, astronauts, and even next-door neighbors who share their expertise and opinions. Together, we tackle the most interesting and challenging topics of today. Whether you want to learn how to become more confident, how to deal with anxiety at work, or how to write a hit song, or use Brazilian jiu-jitsu in life, we've got hundreds of episodes to help amp up your life and move you forward. Subscribe to Thoughts That Rock wherever you listen to podcasts, and check out evergreenpodcast.com for more information.